Open your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 4. Psalm 4, where we can read a short verse written by the man that was like the Lord's own heart. A man the Lord loved deeply. A man that failed, but the Lord still loved him. Great comfort in the life of David. And we should take comfort in reading his words. I hope that you have stilled your heart and your mind and you're ready to hear the word of the Lord. This book that I have before me and that you have before you is not the word of men, nor does it contain the words of men. It's the word of God and it has the words of God. And we want to delight in every single one of them. I'd like to read to you from Psalm 4, the fourth verse. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. We have four instructions in this short verse. Stand in awe. The word awesome is used commonly today about feats of men. No man has ever done anything that's awesome. In the real sense of the word. When the Bible says stand in awe, it means to stand in respect of the greatness and awesomeness of God Himself. Stand in awe. Look at how great God is and fear and tremble before Him. Stand in awe. It says after that, and sin not. If we had a proper vision of how great God was, it would help deliver us from sinning. Because we would have in our minds the image of the great and dreadful God of heaven. And we would not want to offend Him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. When you're in bed at night, instead of having foolish thoughts, instead of entertaining sinful fantasies, Instead of conspiring or contriving what wickedness you can do, instead of bemoaning your terrible fate, that you are so deprived and you have missed so many good things in life, instead of doing all that, commune with your own heart upon your bed. Talk to yourself. Oh my soul, why art thou cast down? Talk to yourself. Remind yourself that there's a great God worthy of standing in awe of and worthy of obeying. And that you ought to fear Him. And that you've been called to be His child in this world. And last of all, it says to be still. Forget all your activities that clutter your life. Forget all the things that steal your mind. Forget all the thoughts of the things you're going to do because they all amount to absolutely nothing. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, He's going to blow away every single thing you've done that hasn't been done for Him into nothingness. You won't even be able to remember it in one second when you meet Him. Be still. Be still. Calm down and take the time to commune with your own heart upon your bed to stand in awe and to sin not. This is the word of the Lord to you. This is why David was David. 
Because David wrote his words like this and told us how to approach the Lord. The fear of the Lord, though not found in these words, is what we're going to deal with this morning. The fear of the Lord is a common description throughout the Bible of His people. Are you a God-fearing man this morning? Are you a God-fearing woman? Are you God-fearing children? That's what we want to ask. And we want to answer it this morning. We want to be those that fear the Lord. Because the Bible says too many things about the fear of the Lord. It says it all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We've already read Revelation 19, 5 and 6 this morning that speak of the fear of the Lord. Solomon thought it was the most important trait that we could ever acquire. And that is to fear the Lord. I'm preaching it this morning for the glory of God. I'm preaching it this morning because I'm often asked, what does the fear of the Lord mean? How can you fear the Lord and love the Lord at the same time? That's a novice in the Word of God. That's someone who hasn't figured out that the love of God and the fear of God, as the Bible defines the terms, are almost synonyms. There is another fear of God, though, that we want to avoid this morning. It can be taught by the precept of men. It's what the devils do when they get around the Lord. And it's what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. That wasn't the fear of the Lord that pleases God. Adam went and hid in the trees because he said, and he told us why, I was afraid. But that fear didn't lead him to do anything constructive with his life. I read about a man that was given one talent one time too. And he said, I was afraid. I knew you were a hard man, so I went and buried my talent. Now, that isn't the fear of the Lord. That's why the Lord said, take his talent and give it to the man with ten. In the kingdom of heaven, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If you truly fear the Lord, you're going to want to run to him and obey him. You're going to know he'll receive you. There is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. Psalm 130 and verse 4. I want to teach it to you this morning. We live in a generation where there is no fear of God. They don't want the fear of God, and they've gotten rid of the fear of God by creating a God to their own liking. And the God that they've created, no one would fear Him. No one at all. He's the make-believe God of a purpose. He's the purpose-driven God. He's the mega-church growth God. He's put your hand in the hand of the man. He's the God that's watching from a distance. Oh, no. That isn't the God of the Bible. You wouldn't fear their God. You can't blame people for not having the fear of God because the God that's preached from most pulpits isn't worthy of fear. There's nothing fearful about Him. So we want to remind ourselves about this great subject. I want to increase your fear of God for His glory and your prosperity. If you want to fulfill your life before God and meet the Lord Jesus Christ with confidence, then hear and obey what's about to come from the Word of God. Why? Let's ask three questions this morning. First, why should we fear the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? And how can we do it more? First of all, let's answer the question, why should we fear the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 is the first place we'll go. You are turning the pages of Holy Scripture. It's the Word of the Lord. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just the ass that God has chosen to read it to you. 
and to try to give a sense of it to you. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do more than try. I'm gonna give you a sense. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. And it ends with a question mark. So the question is, did I leave out anything that you're supposed to be doing? This is the Lord asking. No, all that I want you to do is right there in that one sentence. And now, O Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear? Is there anything else beyond what I'm about to list? This is what the Lord wants us to do. And notice... God doesn't find the fear of the Lord and the love of God contradictory, does He? Right. Because they're both in this passage. They're very, they're, they could be synonyms. To fear the Lord is to stand in an awesome reverence of Him and want to please Him with your whole heart. To love the Lord thy God is to set Him up and to, awesome, and to reverence Him and to want to please Him with all your heart. Deuteronomy 10.12 Remember, we're answering a question. Why should we fear the Lord? Because the God of heaven said, if you want to be my people and walk before me, this is how I want you to live. And the first thing he says in Deuteronomy 10.12 is to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways. Does that sound familiar, having read Psalm 128 and verse 1 this morning? That to fear the Lord is to walk in his ways. The two of those things go together. Let's now turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I believe that most of the church could quote this verse to me. I wish that all the church could. Parents, one of the first verses your children should memorize is Ecclesiastes 12.13. The next to the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember the context. I've already mentioned it this morning. But Solomon, Solomon was the best looking man that ever walked the earth. Solomon had more capital, that's money. For those of you that don't know how to even spend it yet, capital is money. And Solomon had more of that than any man has ever had. Then Solomon had the power. He was king. He was an absolute monarch in an absolute monarchy. He could do whatever he wanted to. He didn't have to answer to Congress. He didn't have a cabinet. And there wasn't a news reporters that were asking him tough questions every night. All he had to do was go like that, and he didn't mean interview's over. <laughs> he meant interviewer is over. Right. So what did I just say? Best looking, most money, and all the power. And the Lord gave him leave to experiment with everything that a man could ever want to do under the sun. Anything that can be done on earth, he did it. You say, I love horses. Listen, Solomon had horses you can only dream about in a crazy dream. And he had thousands of them. You've got to read about the horses that he brought up out of Egypt and up out of Arabia. You should read about the 40,000 stalls that he had for his horses. Now, oh, you made a mistake. No, 40,000. Because he was Solomon. You say, well, what about women? 
He had a thousand of them. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That means 1,000 dedicated to his intimate pleasure at his call. The competition would have been fierce. The performance would have been outstanding. The variety would have been mind-boggling. Silver was like stones in the streets of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us in his reign. He had the pleasures of kings. One month he got the, he got the idea that he could be happy if he had a men's choir. So he got himself men singers. A month later he got tired of them, so he got women singers. And tried a choir of women. He did it all. He had animals imported so that he could have his own personal zoo. He had Neverland 3,000 years ago. I'm glad that no one even cracked a smile. You don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? That's good. We have a good church. Amen. That was Solomon. He tried it all. Amen. Right. Do you know how many men stood around his bed when he made love to one of those 1,000 women? Seventy finest men in all of Israel stood around his bed. They would have taken on any comers. They were the best that the world had to offer. No one touched Solomon during his reign. God put a fear and a dread upon all kings that they wouldn't touch him. The queen of Sheba, who was a queen in her own right, when she came to meet Solomon and she watched the servants serving him a meal and coming before him, it took her breath away. Now, there's no one in here good enough to give the royal pedicure in Solomon's day. You think you're going to experiment with more than he experimented with? As you struggle through life to make ends meet and balance your budget? Here's what he had to say. When he got to the end of all his experimentation about what is the purpose for man under the sun... And what can man find to fulfill his life? Here's what he came to the conclusion and said. And this is why we have the words, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And you know what the whole matter is? What I was just trying to describe to you in a few minutes. The whole matter of experimentation with pleasure on earth. He said, vanity of vanities. In verse 8, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes 12, 8, then he said in verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. I love it when the Bible gets simple. Because I'm simple. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Lord, is it that simple? It's that simple. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And then a reason why. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every secret thing that you're hiding, God's going to expose. It doesn't matter whether it's good or evil. You can be thankful He'll see the good, but you can be unthankful that He's going to see the evil. But in any case, we're going to all come into judgment because of that. The whole purpose of man is to fear God and to keep His commandments. And for anybody that will trust the wisest man that ever lived and tried more than any man ever tried. He tried more than any hundred men ever tried. He said, fear God and keep His commandments. 
This is the conclusion of the whole matter. The wisest man, the best looking, the most money, the most capital, the most power, he tried it. This is his rule. This is why we want to fear the Lord. Because the wise man told us, the preacher, king over Israel, named Solomon, told us, fear God and keep His commandments. That's why we want to do it. Do not deceive yourself. You think you'll find more than he tried? There's no one in here good enough, and I'll say it again, for the royal pedicure. You weren't good, you're not good enough to clip his toenails. Neither am I. He was Solomon. His servants took away the breath of the Queen of Sheba. Everything was gold on his table. His toast was on a gold plate. He drank from a golden cup. Everything was pure gold. The man had anything he wanted. This is his rule for us. This is why we want to fear the Lord. This is the wisdom from heaven on how to have a fulfilled life and to meet the Lord confidently after life. Because he's going to bring everything into judgment. If you feared hidden and kept his commandments, you're going to be able to stand before him confidently in the Lord Jesus Christ and know that you're ready to have a trial of your life. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Why should we fear the Lord? The Bible's filled with it from one cover to the other. The fear of the Lord is those that believe He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently keep, that, that diligently seek Him. Because to fear God and to keep His commandments is to seek Him and to believe that He exists. It's faith. It's love. It's fear all tied up together. It's those that believe there's a God and want to live their lives to please Him. They know that they were created for His pleasure and they want to fulfill that while they're alive. They want to fulfill it actively. Luke chapter 12, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his friends. And he says in verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. But I want to tell you something about the God that I worship and that I represent this morning. The next verse is about not a sparrow can fall from heaven, that he doesn't take note of and he has all the hairs of your head numbered. I can fear that God. I can fear with trembling and rejoicing. At once. He is such a magnificent being. There's comfort right in the context. In case verses 4 and 5 shook you, verses 6 and 7 are wonderful. Look at what it says, though, my friends. I'll tell you who you ought to fear. Don't fear men. Don't fear the devil. Fear God. All men can do is take your life. What happens after that? You're in the presence of the Lord. Amen. You've been spared having to live another day in this world. Amen. But the Lord can do a whole lot more after that. And so he says, fear him. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We've seen from Moses, David, Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, and now our brother Paul wants to tell us the importance of fearing God. Why we should do it. 
Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Hebrews 12, 28. Oh, there's good things in this context as well as there was in Solomon's. He's describing our unity and connection to the kingdom that is in heaven. The general assembly in verse 23 and the church of the firstborn. The innumerable company of angels in verse 22. The spirits of just men made perfect in verse 23. And to Jesus in verse 24. Here's what he has to say in verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, since we have the final kingdom that there is ever going to be, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God was a consuming fire. Is that what it says? For our God is a consuming fire. Those are the words of Moses brought forward into the New Testament by our brother Paul. For our God is a consuming fire. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, there's a positive motive. We have been brought in connection with the other sons of God and the angels of heaven into the general assembly and church of the firstborn and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the sons of God. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, let us have grace. Let us take the grace God's given us. Let's take the gospel He's given us, the kingdom He's given us, and let's use it to please Him. Let's have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably How do we serve God acceptably according to this verse? With reverence and godly fear. There's a devilish fear. The devils had it. I've already mentioned it. The devils had it. When they met the Lord Jesus Christ, men possessed of the devils would run to the feet of the Son of God and worship Him and say, Art thou come to torment before our time? The Bible tells us the devils believe and they tremble. And the Bible told us about Adam under the influence of the devil and sin hiding in the trees of the garden. But godly fear is what he wants, and that is necessary to acceptably worship him under the New Testament, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, his fire was about to fall on that nation, but his fire has fallen on men, families, cities, and nations ever since, and it will fall again. To worship God acceptably, we have to do it with reverence and godly fear. That's why we dress up. That's why we come in here and we sit quietly. That's why we sing hymns of praise. That's why we do most everything we do is because we want to keep that verse, which tells us to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That is the New Testament. That is not the Old Testament. That is the New. We have nothing to do with casual or contemporary worship. We don't put in our sign, come as you are. We want to come in a way that would please God, not as we are. There were preparations taken always in the Bible to come and meet the Lord. And we want to do that. Why fear the Lord? I just gave you four good reasons. Oh, there's, there's dozens more. Look at Psalm 34. Now you're going to have to pick up the pace. Psalm 34, I'll pick up the pace too. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear Him. You like that one? The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Do you know what else we got from that verse? A definition for the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord's in verse 9. What is it in verse 10? That seek the Lord. Now, does that sound like someone hiding in the trees of the garden? No. When you fear the Lord and you've done something wrong, you run to His feet and you confess your wrongdoing and beg Him for mercy and you run to the feet of whoever else you've wronged and beg them for mercy and forgiveness for your sins. But notice what it says. We're looking at blessings. Why do we want to fear the Lord? Look at what it says in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. Anyone in here can say that that's true? There is no want to them that fear Him. Proverbs 15. You say, well, I've really wanted in my life. I've been short of many things in my life. My question is, how well did you fear the Lord? If you fear the Lord, there'll be no want. You'll say, but some of God's people, some of God's people that feared Him greatly... They had all their possessions stolen by their enemies, and they were burned at the stake. How's that not wanting any good thing? I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever read their testimonies, see, you're bordering on the line of a foolish and unlearned question even asking me that. Because you're asking it tells me something about you. You've never read about the lives of the martyrs. Because if you had read about the lives of the martyrs, you would find out that if you were to ask them while they were burning up, if Psalm 34, 9 and 10 was true, they would tell you it's more than true. Amen. And they would be singing. They would be singing in the flames as they expired. Right. You are a skeptic and possibly a devil for even asking that question. I will defend the integrity of the Word of God. Amen. It says those that fear the Lord shall never want. Amen. And I believe that with all my heart. And men who have had everything torn away from them, God gave them a fullness in their heart that exceeded you who were living in the, ba- in the basket of luxury in your fine home with all comforts. Right. Right. They would have said they were more blessed than you while they burned. They would have answered your question. What causes a man to say, you don't need to bind me to this post? What causes a woman to say that? Those chains aren't needed. Let me light it for you. What causes a woman to say that? She's not wanting any good thing. Proverbs 15 and 16. Chapter 15, verse 16. Look at what it says. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. What do you want to chase in your life? Treasure or the fear of the Lord? This is Solomon writing this. You know, some people hear the Bible and they say, well, poor men always talk like that. Better is little because they've only had little. So they say better is little with the fear of the Lord than treasure because they've never tasted treasure. Uh Uh-uh. Sorry. Wrong answer. You know who wrote that verse? Solomon, king of Israel. He knew what treasure was. You don't know what treasure was. And neither does Bill Gates. Bill Gates doesn't have anything that Solomon had. Nothing. That little dinky shack of his... Solomon's horses live better than Bill Gates lives. Just read about the man. The man's so unhappy and miserable, and his life is running away, and it's going to disappear soon. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. What's the opposite of trouble? 
the fear of the Lord. Oh, this sounds pretty good to fear the Lord. It sounds real good. Look at chapter 22 of the same book, Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Proverbs 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Those three words sound pretty good to me. Riches and honor and life. 22.4. We've already read Psalm 128. Turn to chapter 14. Proverbs 14. Don't let this world, don't let this world cause you to envy sinners. I hope some of you read the commentary on Proverbs 23.17 last night. Don't let this world cause you to envy sinners. Bill Gates ain't got nothing. Do you know what would happen if Bill Gates tried to marry woman number two? What would happen if Bill Gates tried to marry two? He said, I'm tired of my blonde. I want a brunette. Now, what if Bill Gates tried that? (laughs) One brother here suggests that he'd lose half of everything he's got in divorce court. But he'd also be in prison. See, Solomon didn't have any problems like that. He didn't have a problem with number three, and nobody wanted to divorce him. I'm telling you the truth. Don't let this world tell you to envy sinners. They haven't got anything. Solomon tried everything. They can only imagine, they can try to imagine what Solomon tried. And he told you what you ought to do. And he wrote the book of Proverbs to help you, and I write you from the book of Proverbs every day. To try to help you. Chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. You want to be bold and courageous in your life? Do you want to have strength and confidence? Do you want to have a place to hide that is safe? You've got one in the fear of the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, the Lord will hide you in the secret of his pavilion. And you'll not be afraid of anyone. Because he'll protect you. He'll be your shelter. He'll be your defense. He'll be your shield, your your buckler, your sword, your rock, your fortress. He'll be your everything. That's where true courage comes from. It's fearing the Lord, knowing the Lord's with you. Why do you think David ran to meet Goliath? Because he was experienced at wrestling nine foot, nine inch men. He ran to meet Goliath because he knew the Lord was with him. And he was hoping his brothers would come to help him. That's why he took five stones. Because Goliath had four brothers. Where'd that kind of courage come from? They couldn't believe it. You know, the Bible says David ran toward Goliath. It wasn't that Goliath was chasing down David and they ran around the block a few times until Goliath caught... No, 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 no. David ran straight at the big pervert. You uncircumcised dog... I'm going to take your head off today and the birds are going to eat it. Where did did that come from? A little guy that was too young to even be in the army. He was home keeping sheep. The Lord gave him that. Look at what it says. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. Men can do whatever they wish to you, but if you fear the Lord, you're going to have a place to hide. And those martyrs that I was talking about, they had a place to hide. They could hide while the flames were burning them because the Lord was their strong confidence. Oh, the blessings just go on and on. Look at chapter 1 as Solomon introduces the book. Proverbs chapter 1. 
Oh, forgive me, that noise. I don't like editing on the run. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you want to know anything in this world? Do you want some knowledge? The beginning to even get started is the fear of the Lord. Which tells you as soon as you start fearing the Lord, you have already cut out 99% of the population because they don't fear the Lord. And that is why they are so idiotic about any subject. And you know, I bring up the simple ones to remind you, like the origin of the world. You know, this beautiful earth resulted from an explosion of gases. An explosion of... They don't know where the gases came from, but don't complicate things. This world came from an explosion of gases. You came from some baboons. The eagle came from a salamander. You know, on and on they go. That is stupidity. They make it respected in their own circles, but we know better. We're the little children that say the king doesn't have any clothes on. The emperor is naked. Because the Bible tells us something. We know where this earth came from. We even know how old it is. How old is the earth? 6,000 years old. We know that. They can't figure out capital punishment. Is that a difficult subject? If you take someone's life, your life is over. We don't need seven years in court and 13 trials. Somebody just ought to pull a gun and blow them away. The Bible tells us that. Capital punishment is so simple. Child discipline. Oh, you don't want to hit little Johnny? Johnny needed more hitting than he got. And this Johnny got a lot of hitting. The way to teach a child is to hit him. The Bible says that. My brother said amen at the wrong point. All of our grandparents, there was a whole lot more fear of God just a couple generations ago. They knew the little expression, spare the rod and spoil a child. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. How was it best taught? To the tune of a hickory stick. Where did that come from? Right here. They knew it. That's the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. I like that kind of a school. You find me a school like that and I'll sign up. Reading, writing, and arithmetic taught to the tune of a hickory stick. I am not making that up. That was a universal sentence understood and known by all Americans. Because if Johnny gave the teacher any trouble, Miss Elbert could go outside and cut herself a little hickory stick and Johnny got real good. Then when Johnny got home, Johnny's daddy cut himself a little bigger hickory stick And Johnny got real, real good doing homework that night. See, that's wisdom. And where does all that wisdom come from? The fear of the Lord. What does the fear of the Lord cause you to do? What God said is right. God said it. That settles it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. That was 1-7. Look at 9-10. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Why should we fear the Lord? Look at what I'm laying on the table in front of you. I'm spreading you a buffet. And do you know what you do if you eat, if you fear the Lord? You can eat everything I'm putting out there. 
And it won't be gluttony. He'll love you for it. Look at Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There it is again. Solomon realized by interviewing men from all over the earth, kings and kings would come, queens would come, and kings would send their wisest men to interview him and to listen to him. He got to meet the wisest men that there were on earth. And do you know what he realized after meeting them all? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because that is the only proper way to think. All thinking and reasoning by men is circular by necessity. But they reason in a circle from gases exploded and created the earth. I came from a baboon. And eagles came from salamanders. And there is no God. It's all accidental. So they reason from that. And If you reason from nothing like that, then anything goes. My opinion is as good as your opinion because we're both baboons. You, listen, the fear of the Lord breaks that chain. All of a sudden you're reasoning from this. There's a God in heaven. He created all things. And He gave His express judgment on all matters in the Bible. And then we reason from that. I am a man created by God and I owe Him everything. Life is precious, therefore the man that takes one life, his life should be taken. Children are a gift from God. Foolishness is bound in their heart. The Lord wants them trained up in the way they should go, not the way they would go. And so He expects me to use reproof and a rod to get them there. And it's all in the Bible. All that wisdom comes from one fundamental fact. There is a God. In the beginning, God. We only have to read four words in the Bible and our wisdom starts. Have you ever looked at a textbook in college today? The average textbook in college today, it costs $120. It's got 900 pages to teach what could be taught in a few weeks' time. Am I exaggerating all those of you that are going to school? Somewhere around $100, $120, 900 pages to teach you nothing. You can't even start this book without growing in wisdom and knowledge. In the beginning, God. Oh, there was somebody in the beginning. There was a God. What was He doing? In the beginning, God created. What? The heaven and the... Oh, brethren. Those that believe in evolution, Brother John, do those that believe in evolution also, are they the same ones that don't believe in using corporal punishment on a child? Do those two things run hand in hand? They sure do. Because once you get rid of God, you're loose. You're a baboon on the loose. And the baboon on the loose can come up with anything that he wants to and justify it. Because I'm as big as the universe gets. I am the most intelligent creature in the universe. Lord, save us. The fear of the Lord is to say, I have no intelligence but what you've given me, O God. And I'm a fool by nature. And I thank you for telling me the truth in your word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Did any of you read Job 28 last night? Turn to Job 28 for just... Oh, it's precious. We're still on the same minor point. 
you know that we're in deep trouble. And so I'm altering today's activities. We're going to answer one question this morning. We'll answer two tonight, maybe. No promises anymore from me. Let's hope that I'm growing in wisdom. Why fear the Lord? Look at what the Lord says from one cover to the other. All of his great men feared the Lord. When men feared the Lord, they did all sorts of exploits. They shall be strong and do exploits, the Bible tells us, about some that lived during the intertestamentary period. Job 28, 28. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Job 28 is a wonderful chapter. Job plays with you all the way through it, leading you through the chapter, wondering where wisdom is found. Just just very quickly. Start at verse 12. Just look at this. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Stop with me for a moment and think with me. How important is wisdom and understanding? Do you face dilemmas that are difficult to figure out? Is the world showing that they're dysfunctional and idiotic when it comes to solving problems? Is this world getting smarter or worse? Is family dysfunction on the increase or the decrease? National function or dysfunction. Everywhere you look, there is dysfunction, pain, trouble, chaos, confusion, and contradictory opinions. We want wisdom. We want understanding. We want wisdom as it applies to heaven. We want wisdom as it applies to earth. We want understanding. We want wisdom, the power of right judgment. Wisdom is the ability to know what the right thing to do is. Understanding is seeing all the aspects and angles of a subject. Knowledge is the accumulation of important facts and knowing what is true and what is false. Discretion is the ability to rule yourself and do what is wise. And although prudence is the protection by foreseeing trouble and avoiding it. All, don't we all want that? As it applies to God, it applies to earth. That is wisdom. That is understanding. In Job 28, he's playing with you. Where is it found? 28.12, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof. Neither is it found in the land of the living. There's no man on this earth that can produce it. The depth saith, it is not in me. That's the Pacific Ocean. The sea saith, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold. Neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it. And the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. Notice what, notice what Job's telling us here. You can't buy it. You can't find it. Man can't give it to you. It's nowhere to be found on earth. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls. Don't even talk about such worthless trinkets in the face of wisdom. For the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it. Neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. And look what he says in verse 28. And unto man he said, 
Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. What he has defined as evil, not what our society defines as evil, but what he defines as evil. The fear of the Lord. There is a God, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is a God, and I should stand in awe of him and sin not. I should depart from evil. That is wisdom. That is understanding. That will give you a correct perspective on life and save you from all of life's troubles now and when you stand before Him. The fear of the Lord. Can't buy it. Can't find it. Don't look for it. Because it's in one place. And the Lord has to put it in your heart. To fear the Lord. Psalm 147. We're answering a question. Why fear the Lord? Because God told us to. Because it's the conclusion of the whole matter of life. Because that's how we worship God acceptably, is with godly fear. Because there'll be no want to them that fear Him. Because it's the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 147, verse 11, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him. Do you want the Lord taking pleasure in you? I want the Lord taking pleasure in me. When He looks down, I want His face smiling. I like Him. I love Him. I want to bless Him. The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear Him. And do we have a little help on the definition of fear in this verse? You like it? In them that hope in His mercy. See, this fear is not, I better hide in the trees because God's going to crush me. This fear is not, art thou come to torment us before our time. This fear is not, let me hide my talent because I can't measure up to His expectations. This fear is hope in His mercy. He runs out of the trees and falls at His feet. He runs out and says, Lord, I've taken five and multiplied it And now I've got ten. Here it is, all ten for you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then the man with two, who's watching the man with five that turned him into ten, doesn't say, well, I only got two more. I better go hide. He says, Lord, here's all four that I have. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the fear of the Lord. That is godly fear. He takes pleasure in them that fear Him. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're searching the Scriptures. Why why should we fear the Lord? Let me show you another reason why. Verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. The Lord doesn't have to pity us. He pities those that fear Him. When a father pities his child, he remembers he's only 12. When I was 12, I was retarded. That's why he's retarded. That really is pity. Understand my language, please. When I was 12, I was pretty foolish. He's 12. I shouldn't expect from him what I expect from myself. 
so we take pity on our children. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I want the Lord to pity me. I want the Lord to remember my frame. I want him to remember my special temptations. I want him to remember the sins that easily beset me. I want him to have mercy on me. And do you know how we obtain that mercy? Fear the Lord. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. What he doesn't remember, and he doesn't show the compassion and kindness and patience toward those that don't fear him. Psalm 33. Just a couple more minutes. A couple is a term in the English language with wide latitude of meaning. But I'm going to limit it to just two or three minutes. Hurry. Psalm 33, 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive in famine. Those are two good verses. The providential eye of God. He is always watching. He knows what we have need of, and He provides it. The eye of the Lord. The Lord doesn't have eyeballs. But it's a figure of speech in the Bible representing God's oversight of our lives and His providential care for anything we need. He sees and He recognizes and He has need of everything we have need of. He recognizes what we have need of before we even ask and He provides. He'll keep us alive in famine. He'll protect us from death. Psalm 33, 18 and 19. Chapter 25. Psalm 25. Do you want to walk with God? Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The more you fear the Lord, the Lord will come and show you his secret, his secret presence, his secret affection for you, his election, his relationship towards you that you are his son. It's a secret to the world, but it's not a secret to God, and it won't be a secret to you because he'll show it to you. He'll open up the word of God to you. He'll show you His covenant. You will understand and know that He has loved you with an everlasting love and will never forsake you because you fear Him. He will come and deal with you personally and have an intimate relationship. When someone shares secret things with someone else, it's because they're intimate. God becomes intimate with us when we fear Him. We believe that He is We stand in reverence of His great position. We want to please Him because He's our great God and we love Him for all that He's done for us. He becomes intimate toward us. This is the Word of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, don't turn. It tells us a book of remembrance is written for them that fear the Lord. Psalm 34 and verse 7 tells us, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. Do you believe that? Young man, young man, the angel of the Lord, because you put your fear in the Lord, he'll protect you. Look at verse 12 of chapter 25. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. How would you like a private tutor? The Lord God of heaven. Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. Would you like an easy life? And his seed shall inherit the earth. Do you want to bless your family tree? Then fear the Lord and walk in his ways. What can it do for a church? In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 it says, 
And then the churches, walking in the fear of the Lord, were multiplied. Amen. Do you know how we lay hold of the, prom- the seven promises in the last part of Second Corinthians chapter 6? By perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God, Second Corinthians 7, 1. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. Why fear the Lord? I've given you dozens of reasons. Every single one of them is sufficient by itself to fear the Lord. We need to ask ourselves before the Lord whether we have truly feared Him, and we need to confess where we have fallen short and recommit our lives this morning that we are going to fear the Lord, we are going to walk in His ways, we are going to hope in His mercy, and we are going to seek Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May the Lord bless you to do those things this day. Yes. Amen.